Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. It is an interactive edition of the show. We are going to be opening up that big old bag of mail. And hey, if you want to offer a question in the chat, we might have time for that as well before we get out of here. That we've got questions coming up on college football parody. Is it even possible for that to be a thing? Uh, outlook for Penn State against its big, biggest rivals in 2024. The quarterback battle, if there is one, at LSU heading into 2023 and much more. Uh, if you have not gotten a chance to go back and either watch the uh, midday signing day special that Bud Elliott and I did yesterday on National Signing Day or watch or listen to Bud Elliott and Andrew Ivins recapping the entire day and the entire cycle uh, from National Signing Day. Please go ahead and do that. But with uh, you know, a little bit of time here at the top, I just wanted to ask, like Tom, Danny, anything stand out? Any headlines or, or storylines from National Signing Day that uh, really resonated with you um, on Wednesday? Not recruiting-wise. What's what? the biggest story to me from yesterday was Kirk Ferentz coming out and saying that mm-hmm. they're not making any changes to their staff. Anticipate it was kind of Harbaugh. Ease. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's Harbaugh. He used a little Harbaugh language. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. My biggest takeaway was Ohio State's signing day lasted all of three minutes. Incredible. And they tweeted it out right at 7 a.m. and then at 7.03 a.m. They said, welcome to you know Ohio State's official signing day. What a great class we've wrapped up on to the 2023 season. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys heard, Pat Narduzzi was on, I think he was on ACC Network. Uh, it was on one of the shows and he skewered the NCAA. He's like, what a clown show. He's like, this is messed up. What are we doing? I kind of forgot it was even happening. I know a lot of people were in the same boat. Like it doesn't even matter anymore. I don't know. I, I kind of miss I I signed the first Wednesday of February like it was a big deal. I worked on shows when I was at ESPN that were 12-hour blowout shows mm-hmm. much like we do now in the early signing period. And I thought it was I thought it was kind of fun. It was different. I liked that it was after the season, not when there's coaching searches going on and it stood alone and we, we talked a lot 
about the calendar and the need to kind of create a calendar that works. I get it. Guys want to commit. They want to get on campus in January. I miss the old signing day. That's just me. Yeah. Early signing day has completely taken all the thunder and electricity out of the February signing day. I was um, searching the 24-7 databases to see if I could find any Thomas Brady that was going to commit so that then we could at least get a Tom Brady commits or Tom Brady signs, you know, anything possible to be able to generate a little buzz around the day that was. I would say the one thing that uh, seems the most significant is Jaden Rashada committing to Arizona State. We thought that was going to come down to Arizona State and TCU. It's a saga that we've detailed at great length here on the Cover 3 podcast. He enters a quarterback room that includes Drew Pine. So Kenny Dillingham, who's done great work with quarterbacks as an assistant coach in the past, now has two options, a, a veteran one that has had some you know, big-time experience, and then a, a prospect who is, as again, as we said before, is a little bit older than some of the other quarterbacks in this class. Uh, do you think that Jaden Rashada is going to be a starting quarterback for Arizona State in 2023, not because of injury? Will he win QB1 duties at some point in the season? You can't rule it out for sure. Like, I mean, I this is a better question for Bud, I think, because Bud has seen a lot more of Jaden Rashada than I think Danny and I have. But, like, based on the talent, based on the scouting reports, I mean, this kid seems to be talented. But the question will be, what's Arizona State's goal in Kenny Dillingham's first year? They bring in Drew Pine. I think that that, that gives you kind of the veteran presence. I would anticipate there will be a competition in the spring or the summer. I don't know. Rashada's probably not enrolling until the summer, right? I would assume, so. yeah, not at this so, point. So then I guess I think that probably means it's going to be Pine to start the season, but you'll probably see Rashada worked in there, and then maybe it, he, he takes over the starting role, or maybe P if Pine plays well enough, then you just kind of redshirt Rashada and go with him next year. I think that is probably, if you're Kenny Dillingham, that is probably your ideal plan. Drew Pine plays well enough that you don't have to play Rashada, but if he doesn't, you have Rashada there. You know how much film I've watched of Jaden Rashad or any of these high schoolers? Don't say zero. No. Okay. I, I watched the highlights that we played in our show the other day. Yeah, thank you. I was <laughs> real, say, I was are your in. eyes I was, open? I was, <laughs> yeah, I was taking notes. I I knew, I self-admittedly, I do need, because I mean, there are quarterbacks and players that come in and contribute right away. It's just, I don't know, I've seen so many busts. I'd kind of just rely on Bud every time and I'll reference it on the show or you guys just say, hey, what did you guys see from him? And then, you know, sometimes you get the highlight reels, but I don't like you. The highlight reels are highlight reels for a reason, right? That's their best plays. Like, I want to see kind of what they are at their worst and how they bounce back. And there's such an overwhelming number of players that come out. I couldn't do it justice. Like, our guys at 24 7 have full time jobs where that's all they're doing is breaking down these cut ups and watching these players. So I kind of rely on the, the rankings that get there. I do think they've gotten a lot more accurate and the assessment of them. So I've kind of leaned on them. Back to the original question, I think Drew Pine starts. You know, I, I think the veteran experience that he got this past year, even though it wasn't, like, phenomenal, he did play a lot of games for Notre Dame. There's that edge, being a leader in the locker room. It's a lot. I mean, I know there, we've seen guys do it, come out as freshmen and step right into that role. I think the way if Rashada plays, it's later on in the season if the season isn't going according to plan. You know, like if they are falling off the rails and they're starting to develop players for the following season. Some good anecdotes from Blair Angulo during the 24-7 wall-to-wall coverage of National Sign Day on Wednesday tipped me off to just the level of competitiveness that Rashada has. And so I believe that he is going to come in expecting to push 
which means that if Drew Pine wins the job, he's had to actually, you know, overtake a player with great potential in Rashada. And it's probably a good thing for Arizona State uh, overall. By the way, uh, the other thing that jumped out from signing day, I just saw Jordan put in the chat. Arizona State has 25 transfers this offseason. They have 46 new players mm-hmm. under scholarship. I mean, that's that's like unprecedented. And I think it's you I, like at Colorado, I think we expected that because the roster needed such a massive overhaul. It's a big, this is a big number. And I know that's how you do it, but I also I'm a little bit worried about the continuity aspect and building, you know, like it's a team sport where you've got to have feel for one another and you've got to. You've got to figure out offensive line fits. It's a very nuanced art form. And same thing, route running with quarterbacks and defensive communication. Like those things take time and repetition. I think I think Arizona State's going to be one of the more fun teams to watch under the radar to see if this works with a 32-year-old head coach or what type of progress we see. I think it's going to be an interesting storyline. I think you see that too. Like in we've seen it in college basketball where like transferring has been a lot more prevalent there than it has in football at least to the degree that it is when you look at the amount and i think you see too like with a lot of college basketball teams that they'll get a lot of transfers in they get off the slow starts and then it comes like middle of conference season january february those players start kind of figuring things out and the teams improve as the season goes along the difference is college basketball teams play like what 30 games in the regular season mm-hmm. you've only got you've only got 12 for college football so it, if it takes you a time if it if you bring in all those transfers and it takes some time for everybody to figure each other out your season could basically not be over but if you had high expectations or big goals they might be done by the end of september by the time you've even figured it out arizona state and colorado you mentioned colorado that's like 43 new mm-hmm. players between transfers and the recruiting class that is fascinating in a Pac-12 that we've already continued. Like, here we go, playing the same old song again. The Pac-12 in 2023 is going to provide like endless amounts of intrigue as we look at how that conference is going with a very strong top and teams at the bottom that are hitting the reset um, and, and don't want to end up at the bottom. Like, when you are Kenny Dillingham or Deion Sanders, the last thing that you want to be is one and eight in conference play, your very first season. So whoever can get that thing rolling and be able to get a couple of conference wins, you know, enter November flirting with bowl eligibility, I think that you're going to feel a whole lot better about the uh, the new regime at the end of the season. Any, uh, any, any takeaways at all from the ACC and Big 12 releasing schedules this week? I wanted to give a shout-out. Listen, I wanted to give a shout-out to Kansas State. Yeah, that was awesome. I want to give a shout out to Houston's social media team. I understand the schedule release game is not new. You know, this is this is something that is continually being pushed forward. And I just want to say, if you have not gotten a chance to go check out either Kansas State, Houston, or any of the others, the creativity that has been involved in in getting out some of these promotional social media videos is uh, really phenomenal, and it's fun. And like that, that is what this time of year really should be. Is it just like? enjoying uh, college football and, and really getting excited for the season ahead. I, I will I have no thoughts on schedule releases. I have no thoughts on schedules as of yet. I usually wait till we get closer to the season before I really jump into that. But it's got to be really exciting if you are a Cincinnati fan, a UCF fan, a Houston fan, a BYU fan, or any fan of a school who's now moving up in a conference to a bigger conference to get that first schedule release and see all the new teams that you're going to be playing. So, like, if you're a Houston fan, all of a sudden, you know, Texas is on your schedule. Oklahoma's on your schedule. All these teams that you either haven't been able to play before or maybe wouldn't play you because they didn't have any – it was like, well, we've got nothing to gain by playing you. So, like – 
that's got to be super exciting. Or if you're UCF, like think about where they were not that long ago. UCF was in the MAC. I don't think most people realize that that's where the UCF began as a MAC school. So in the short amount of time to go from releasing like, ooh, we're playing Ball State this weekend to, dude, we're playing freaking Oklahoma and Texas. That's got to be a really cool fan if you're or feeling if you're a fan of those programs. You shouted out a couple of the social media teams, Duke. Coming off an eight and four season, they feel pretty good about themselves. They better <laughs> be ready. They're taking, yeah, they're taking some shots. Dabo, they took shots at Florida State. Better be ready. They'll be ready for it. Uh, I love it, though. I love the uh, trolling aspect. And then the Kansas State one with the movie trailers and all the movie tie-ins. How old is the social media person there? I was thinking of somebody young. There's some older classics on there. Are there two Monty Pythons on yeah, there? Mm-hmm. Which is like, isn't that from the 80s or something? Like, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's like one I think I grew up on was getting the Monty Python era. So I was I was surprised, but very appreciative. It was very clever as well. How done. many coaches do you think hate their social media teams <laughs> for what they do? Like 90%. Yeah. <laughs> there's a love-hate. I think there's yeah. a love-hate because I think after today – they're probably like, oh, geez, like, really? You had to go there? But I think they also love it because they know what it means for recruiting and branding mm-hmm. of the school. Yeah, but, you know, you throw a Ricky Bobby Talladega Knights reference in there. Coaches yeah. know that. Yeah. Coaches like a good, like, Will Ferrell slapstick comedy. Come on. Yeah, they're on board there. Um, all right, one one last one, and then we'll dive into the big old bag of mail. Uh, just a just a question. Curious if this is on top of mind. Mac Brown agreed to a one-year extension to his contract. It goes through the 2027 season, officially expires in 2028. Who knows how old Mac Brown will be if he coaches the rest of this contract? 76. Ding, 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 ding. I'm right? Yeah. Damn. Blind guess. All right. You think Mac Brown's coaching out the rest of this contract? Going to 76? Definitely. How old Mm -hmm. is he now? He's 72? Yeah. 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 I just, I know he missed it a lot. Like I worked with him at ESPN. We were in studio every Saturday together. I know he missed it a lot. I know he's very appreciative. I know he loves being around the kids. As long as they'll have him, I think he'll do it. Yeah. Uh, Mac Brown again, just one year tacked on to the end of that deal. It is still a five-year deal. Now it runs through the 2027 season. Coming up on the other side, we dive into the big old bag of mail with a question about passion. Which fan bases hate us? Next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, opening up the big old bag of mail. Great way for you to get a question in a future mailbag episode. So leave us a five-star review. And in that review, 
put your mailbag question. But that's not the only way, as we're going to begin with a question that came from Twitter. Again, you can follow us at Chip underscore Patterson, uh, at Tom Fernelli, at Danny Cannell, at Bud Elliott 3, or the show at Cover 3 Podcast. Um, if it's a good question, and then Tom will probably see it. And then Tom will text it to me and then it won't get lost in the sauce. And that's exactly what happened here. This question comes from a Twitter user, Colonel of Truth, uh, Spotify user. So I can't leave a rating on Apple, but I have a mailbag question for each host. Which fan base has the most misguided hate for you? For example, they think you hate them and you have no idea why. It is what if question. you know exactly why? That, I, think works, too, yeah. I think this is all like of all in the same like you know bucket of of things that we can air out here uh in the mailbag episode so who's who's got your number tom um i got a list of four i put together for this uh the one i think the, the, this one is the most i think in spirit of the question like the most misguided one cincinnati fans think i hate cincinnati because last year when I was criticizing the college football playoff, I was saying all year the playoff will not put Cincinnati in the top four. But what I also said all year was that if Cincinnati goes undefeated, it 1 million percent deserves to be in the top four. Cincinnati fans seem to forget that part. My problem was with the college football playoff. It was never with the Bearcats. But Cincinnati fans, I've gotten from them all from last year and this year. They think I hate the Bearcats. I don't. I thought your team was really good last year. I think losing Luke Fickle might be a problem, but I don't hate you. Uh, another one, I think more recently, Oklahoma State fans. Yeah, think, that's think on my We list. hate Oklahoma State because we called them a fraudulent top 10 team, and I think the rest of the season kind of proved us to be correct. And also the transfer portal this offseason kind of proving us to be correct what we thought about this program in, during the season. But I will also say, you know, I own a lot of clothing, college football team clothing. Oklahoma State's probably outside of Illinois. They're probably the team I own the most pieces of clothing with. So I don't know if I, why am I buying so much Oklahoma State crap if I hate them? Uh, Purdue fans think I hate Purdue. Okay. I, I love Jeff Brom. When you guys hired Jeff Brom, I was super into it. I, he's one of my favorite coaches in the country. I've enjoyed Purdue the last years. I don't hate you, but they think I do. I think it's just a natural Illinois Purdue thing. They assume you hate them. Uh, I do hate you in basketball. So, mm. but that's completely different. Um, and then Mississippi State fans think I hate Mississippi State, but I think Mississippi State fans think everybody hates them. I think it's just kind of like a, a I, I mean, don't know what it is. In that conference, you've got to have a, it's a chip on the shoulder mentality. Yeah. Down to have at Mississippi State. So those are the four where I feel like I get the most grief from their fans and I really don't know what I've ever done to make them think I hate them. So Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Purdue, Mississippi State, I don't hate you. I love you all very, very much, except for Purdue basketball. Zach Eady's just really tall. He's not all that talented. Deal with it. Wow. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Clip that for Clip. social. <laughs> <laughs> Mine, uh, mine's pretty easy. It's an entire conference. It's the SEC, and they're right because I do hate them, and they hate me back. So that's just self-explanatory. The uh, Alabama was the first one that really got mad, and I think there's a there's a theme here. And it goes back to why Cincinnati fans got mad at Tom. Like when Alabama did not win the division and got in, they were livid with me. Like, because I stood up there and was a principal. I was like, I think you should have to win your division and win your conference to get into the playoff. And I've stood true to that principle 
every single time, including this year when Ohio State was afforded the, uh, the same opportunity after losing um, in the what day uh, against Michigan. And so I had the exact same principle. And both fan bases hate thought it was very personal. Now Ohio State's grew some because I also was pretty critical of them when they only played six games in the COVID season and still got an opportunity to play for it. But that was more about this isn't fair. Like this isn't this isn't right. Like the fact that one team could play ten games, another could play six, and we're judging these apples versus oranges. But like my father-in-law went to Ohio State. My brother-in-law went to Ohio State. My wife's brother. Like they are massive Buckeye fans, and I think they hate me too because of all. Like because of the look. Why? How could you say they don't deserve a spot? And I'll go back. I'm like, do you know I picked Ohio State to win the national championship in the preseason? Like I would love to see them win it. And then they were very confused when I picked them to beat, uh, beat Georgia. I was almost close on that one. Um, it's always comes back to those people are very, very protective of their their brands and. You know, if you say something critical, they're going to hate you for it. I might be guilty of getting on Twitter and firing off some tweets that maybe that lean into (laughs) it. Maybe. So I understand it. But it is. I think it also. So I have a question for you guys just to follow up on this question. When we say hate, is it a genuine hatred or is it a a kind of I hate that guy's opinions because I've found even like going to an SEC championship game and walking around, people will be like, Canel, you suck. And I'll be like, oh, you know. And then they're like, yeah, what's up? You know, like give you a high five or something like that. Like they're, that's one of the things that makes our job great is because I don't think it's like politics when you disagree with somebody and they really genuinely hate you. I think there's a hatred, but it's more of like a passionate hatred that we can find common ground because we know why you hate like the other person. Like I understand like it's because you love the Buckeyes or you love the Tide. Like, and that's what makes me not get that upset when people come at you. Cause I'm like, I get it. So, um, Oklahoma State is at the top of my list because apparently this has been a multi-year running thing. Yes, we called them fraudulent this year, but there were um, some some fans who were coming back and you know even firing off emails because that's the thing is when it's not even just the Twitter fingers when it's I'm I'm going to fire off these this full email like recitation like letting you know exactly all these different places that you were wrong. Look at these stats and even there was an offer. Hey, next time you want to talk about Oklahoma State, hit me up first so that I can tell you what you need to think about it. So I appreciate that you're trying to make my job easier. I, I do not hate Oklahoma State. Uh, Kyle Porter and Kyle Boone are some of my favorites uh, in the entire world. So, <laughs> they're big fans of the show. Um, and I, I had to have Oklahoma State. Georgia, even though we've been a Georgia pod, I have found myself as I'm raising the bar for Georgia – being a little bit of a hater and that really gets the Georgia fans upset. So I understand why you're upset. I need to just say here, that's a me thing. That is me wrestling with my own moving of the goalposts and influencing what's going to happen. Before we get to this last one, Danny, I do think that we have a human element where if there is enough um, hatred spewed our way from a particular fan base, I don't start rooting against the team per se. But you do find yourself being like, oh, man, that's I, 
I, I don't know if I want that to that. I don't know if I want this team to win anymore. I'm tired of I'm tired of hearing this right now. Mostly I root for me. Like I am almost entirely removed from fandom except for fandom of me. I want my picks to be right. I want my opinions to be proven correct on Saturdays. All of my biases are for me. Not any school, not any coach, not any player. I just want to be right. I root for me. Which brings me to my last one. There is least a segment or a minimum of a couple of university of North Carolina fans that think I hate Carolina and they have dropped one star reviews. They have mm-hmm. come at me with nasty emails and they say, I cannot believe you would disparage my university <laughs> because I fire off a couple of jokes about North Carolina, about academics, even though, I graduated from the University of North Carolina, degree in communications. Like I, I Which mean, proves how meaningless the degree is. Chip and graduate. And so, as I am poking fun at my own, something that they, you know, we say that you can do like with family. Um, it is, it has generated some real pushback from some North Carolina fans uh, along the way. I got one more to tag on, and that's will be a little confessional. I feel like our new uh, setup here. With the three wise, feels like a confessional from the real world. Um, the first one too, the original, real, real world New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so Georgia, Georgia fans, they don't like me. They hate me. Been hard on Stetson Bennett, right? We've all gotten some heat for that. But there was some, there was some personal spite that I wanted to see play out because of my attachment to Mark Richt. And the way his tenure ended, ended, and they moved on to Kirby, and they kicked him aside. I wanted to be right that because I warned him. I said you could be the next Nebraska, right? You're getting nine, ten wins a year, and it may be the grass is greener, and you may fall by the wayside, and then you're looking for another coach every three or four years, like Nebraska is. And I was wrong because they got Kirby, and he's turning now. He's turned into a dynasty, but early on in those years, I wanted to be right for my guy, Mark Richt and say, you know what? They shouldn't have sent him packing when, you know, well, strong <laughs> argument. That was probably the right move. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a lot of evidence in that trophy case back there. <laughs> it suggests they've, uh, they've, they've done a, a good one. Um, Different approach, which yeah. if Mark Richt had embraced, maybe he would have that dynasty, but it's all good. He's not <laughs> here, but I do want to say because of the debate going on in the comments, Bud really does hate Notre Dame. Oh yeah. Yeah. What is happening in the comments, by the way? That's that's not misguided. No, no, no Notre, Dame, hates Notre Dame. Notre Dame is furious at Bud and Bud is has completely not backing down. Yeah, he is not backing down at all. Um, shout out to Bud for uh, for all the work he did. Again, go and check out the National Signing Day recap. Uh, we've got two editions of it on the YouTube channel, uh, one on the audio side. All right, next question comes from Matt, and this is uh, from a five-star review. Uh, One-stop shop for all the college football information you need all year round. Question, the NCAA comes to the Cover 3 podcast and asks what they need to do to create more parity in the sport. What would you say? And I... I, that's the way it was written. When I sent the question to you, I said power brokers because I didn't want to nitpick off the back. NCAA can't do anything about college football. Like, so he's like conference commissioners, college football playoffs. So in general, college football powers that be, if they w- actually wanted parity, 
what should they what should they do to change the sport? It's easy. Salary cap. And a draft. Well, I mean, if you really want like what well, like if you really want it, I don't think people want it, but if you really wanted it, I even I think I proposed it earlier in the season. I sent a tweet like college football needs a draft, you know, mm-hmm. if you want parity. And people were like, No, how could you do that? You're telling me a, a five star would be forced to go to Colorado. That was before Dion got there. And I'm like, Will it happen? Do you guys not pay attention to other sports where the best Bryce Young could be forced to go to Indianapolis or Houston? Like that's the whole point of having a draft is to create parity. So it's an easy solution, but nobody wants it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think you would have to, first of all, revenue sharing. Every single school would have to get the same amount of money. So whatever the Big Ten gets for its TV, the oh. SEC, every single conference, it would all go into one pool and they would all be distributed evenly among the schools. Same with the bowl money, the playoff money, and all that stuff because you're never going to get parity if everybody's playing on a different financial field. I think the draft, yes. I also think that if you didn't do a draft, instead of a salary cap, because let's be real, If there was a salary cap, the SEC would still just cheat and pay players off the books. And now the only difference is maybe if you come to that agreement, you can actually punish them in like a way that matters to them. But like a talent cap, like you can only sign so many five-star recruits or four-star recruits. Like you'd get like, because it's kind of like what MLS does, I think, in a way with soccer, which like they have like what they call designated players where you've got like certain slots that you could pay these guys anything you want and it doesn't affect the salary cap. So like college would have to come up with something like that where it's you get, you could have no more than four or five of these caliber players on your roster at a time. And then you would still, that would still put a premium on talent evaluation, which Mm -hmm. I would be in favor of because as a head coach or a coaching staff, you want to find the players that are do not carry the rating that's going to come with that kind of cost. I was mm-hmm. like the franchise tag math was in my head as I was thinking about this in terms of certain dollar values being assigned to different positions and and being able to you know limit or cap what you can do to be able to go out there and get it. But I'm I I like revenue distribution across all of the teams as one of the early ways that you could create actual parody. Did you see the numbers? I, I I saw a Joel Klatt tweet, and he put it out there. I have to find it. But he was saying there were 39 five-stars. 22 of them are going to the SEC. Mm-hmm. And 29, if you include Oklahoma and Texas. So 29 and 39 going to the teams that make up the future SEC. 17 of them are going to Georgia or Alabama which is more than the other Power Five conferences combined. Like I saw the Big Ten only signed one five-star. That was according to his research. I'm assuming it's Ohio State. But could you imagine, like we just talked about signing day and you know the players doing the hats and which one's going this way. Do you know how fast those players – if you were only allowed to have two five-stars and four, four – you know, like if you went that – you know how fast kids would sign up and like sign mm-hmm. on the dotted line? There would be no messing with the coaches and hat reveals – if you only had two spots at Bama, two spots for those five stars at Georgia, and they would be off the table early, I would think, unless Georgia or Alabama changed their mindset. We're like, no, no, no. We want to make sure that we hit on these five-star guys. I think that would be that would be fascinating. I wish it could happen, but we're talking in la-la land right now. Also, for what it's worth, to close this one out, everybody says they want parity in sports until they get parity, <laughs> and then they don't want it. 
but don't you think the NFL has parity and that's why it's king? No. No. You don't think it does? No. There's two one seeds in the Super how Bowl. Many, how many teams have won the Super Bowl in the last 20 years? It's always the team with the best quarterback, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. It's the same teams winning the Super Bowl. Trent it's like, Dilfer, yeah. Brad Johnson. There are outliers, yes. Win. But I'm just saying, if you look overall, the overall, the, the long-term large sample of NFL, the Patriots won how many Super Bowls? Like, NFL, there's always been a dynasty. Before the Patriots, it was the Cowboys. Before that, it was the 49ers. There's always a dynasty. You have parity in teams that could reach the playoffs, which is what we're trying to do with college football. Like, okay, you get more opportunity. Jacksonville. Exactly. Yeah. So you get eight and eight teams making the playoffs. Whoo, parity. So it's like, no, nobody really wants. Like, I would say if you look at the major sports, the one with the most actual parity is the NHL. It is also the least popular of the sports because nobody knows, like, you're not tuning into, like, dynasties draw casual attention. Like, if there's a great team, it's a draw for people who don't really follow the sport to come in. So when you don't have that, you're watching your team and that's it. Or if you don't even care about the sport, you just aren't watching the sport. I was going to say that that's what happens is if when you have parody, you just have the narrative be there's no good teams, mm -hmm. you know, like instead of it being like, oh, isn't this awesome? All these teams can win it. it our, our sports brains only have so much space. We want to know that there is someone or, or one or two teams at the very top. And then everything is about chasing those teams and trying to topple those teams. I don't I think in college football, especially you would rather I have think it, where you like beat the best team who we all acknowledge is the best team. And even if you lose five games, otherwise you will love that season because of the win against the best team. Do you think we're getting closer to parity because we had TCU after five and seven get in? And I know they got smoked, but they still got in. Isn't that what we want? More teams to have that opportunity? I think the transfer portal is definitely making it more likely that you could see those kinds of turnarounds. And yeah, I also think the coaching impact. change mattered too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's parity as far as that is concerned. But I think as far as it when it comes to winning a national title, buddy, you saw the parity on the field against Georgia, TCU, compared to what that was. Like there is no parity when it comes to winning a national title. But I think if you just get to the heart of why we like sports to begin with, like going back to the gladiator days of what really gets us into it, just there's this primal urge to have like something to root for and something to root against. And if everybody's equal, that goes right out the window and it becomes boring. And again, the what we saw in the field goes all the way back to those 17 combined five stars or whatever what was the, the Georgia Alabama yeah. five star accumulation theory. Um, that's that ends up playing out uh, on the field when you stack class after class after class. Speaking of stacking class after class after class, this question from and I'm not making this up. Username SauceBoss69. <laughs> Username SauceBoss69 says, uh, Mailbag, given everything we know, which is not much, for next year, do you guys think Penn State can finally slay the double-headed dragon in Ohio State and Michigan and make a run to the playoffs? I can't rule it out because I think that Penn State – is a very talented team. It is losing some key guys, though, like especially in the secondary. It's like the last two years, they had a very good secondary the last two seasons, and they lost all those guys. So will they be able to reload and keep that going? I don't know. It's kind of important as far as beating Ohio State that you have a good secondary and you have a good pass rush. Um, But 
I was always kind of a Sean Clifford. I, like my my feelings on Clifford evolved over the years. The longer he was there, the more I was like, okay, he's not that bad. But it also depends on the upgrade if there is one from Clifford to Alar. If Alar takes over and is the guy that you know was the five star recruit, lives up to that hype, that always raises the floor of every team, and that makes you more dangerous against anybody. Because you look at Ohio State right now, we don't really know what the quarterback situation is going to be there. Like. It's we have ideas of who it'll be, but we haven't really seen them in practice yet. So you can't just say beyond a certainty of a doubt that's how good Ohio State's offense is going to be. So I think there's a chance. I do not think it is a big chance because beating one of them, yeah. Beating both of them, that's real tough. Slay the dragon of both. I'll, I'll lean with Tom, but I think if they're 11 and one and beat one of them, let's say they beat. Michigan on the road and they lose to Ohio State on the road, but Ohio State slips up and has a loss, which they've done before in the past. You know, surprising loss and maybe two losses. I think Penn State can win the Big Ten. Absolutely. I think they could win the Big Ten, which should be the bigger goal, right? Like, I know it's mm-hmm. important. And you would think in order to win the Big Ten, you'd have to do that. But I think Tom nailed it. I think it's you got to have a, a quarterback who's special and an offense that's special. I mean, that's kind of what's stood out. At Ohio State, without question, the quarterback, the list of quarterbacks they've had over the last decade has been phenomenal. And then Jim Harbaugh kind of came in and he did it with this philosophy of we're just going to smash mouth you. I don't think that's and they can because Michigan can can get up there and they've they're such they're ingrained to be able to do that. Not to say Penn State's not physical and couldn't do that, but I think in order for them to get over if they want, let's say they want to run the table, I think we'd be talking about Drew Allar as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Which isn't out of the realm of possibility. Like some, mm-hmm. we see players emerge, but I think they need that sort of special type player to come to 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 run the gauntlet and be undefeated. Yeah, the uh, the young running backs, Nick Singleton, and the rest of that room looked really really good this year. And they went and got Dante Cephas from Kent State, one of the top wide receiving uh, talents from the transfer portal. Tom, you mentioned the exodus not just losing Joey Baker, but also some players to the transfer portal. It brings up one of my favorite Tom Fernelli notes uh, about statistics and uh, scouting because Kalen King is a very good player who got a lot of passes defended because he was opposite of Joey Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. And so, and he did a good job. Like I, I think by my less educated eye that Kalen King, you know, did a good job with that yeah. heavy workload. He's a very, very good corner but now he is like the mainstay. He needs to be excellent. I think the coaches, I forgot whether it was media and coaches or just the coaches, named him an all-Big Ten corner. I mean, he was a very, very good player, but he is one of the last in that room of what was a very good secondary room. So, yeah, in the past defense, that's somewhere where you got to hope that some of your additions and some of your development really pays off. Um, I, I think Penn State, can do it. I think that based on the um, the weird sort of machinations of the the Penn State, here's what we do against this team. I, th- I give Penn State a better chance of going into Columbus and beating Ohio State than I would giving Penn State a chance of going into Ann Arbor. And in the 2023 season, they get Michigan at home. They go to Columbus. And those games are three weeks apart with Indiana and Maryland in between it is a favorable schedule for Penn State, of course, outside of visiting Champaign to of play course. a future Big Ten West champion, Illinois, on uh, September 16th. And they're, 
their talent, I know it's a hot topic right now, especially in the chat room, but as far as like the blue chip ratio goes, I mean, they're they're one of the 15 teams that have a greater, you know, than 50% portion of their roster is four or five star. Like they've, James Franklin has been consistently recruiting. It's not like they've had bad years, even though they had a bad year a couple years ago on the field. He's still recruited with the best of them. So yeah, talent-wise, they should be able to go toe-to-toe with anybody. Yeah, he's not putting together those Brian Kelly classes. <laughs> now, why you gotta, why you gotta rile, rile them up? An incredible. I'm just enjoying the chat. That's all. I just, it's fun. YouTube.com slash cover three. You can even relive it. You want to come back yes. and watch it and watch along live. All right. Uh, this next question takes us to Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Does Garrett Nussmeyer deserve to get consideration over Jaden Daniels at LSU? And does LSU have a serious quarterback battle this spring with how well Nussmeyer performed later in the season? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's if. Jaden Daniels, I think, will be LSU starter. I think Jaden Daniels played well. I don't think Jaden Daniels was incredible. I don't think Jaden Daniels played so well that he should not be challenged. And if you just look at Brian Kelly's history, no quarterback of his has ever really guaranteed the spot. Like Ian Book was for a few years because there wasn't really an actual challenger on that roster behind him. That's somebody that you could really count on to push him. He was the best option they had. But in other years... Brian Kelly has never been shy about having a competition at quarterback. And if Nussmeyer is outplaying Jaden Daniels in practice, Nussmeyer is going to see the field. Or if Jaden Daniels plays poorly, Brian Kelly, he's got he's been Spurrier-esque throughout his career as far as in-game. He's not afraid to make a change at the quarterback position when he needs to. So I do think there's a chance that Nussmeyer gets the starting job, and I think there's a chance that maybe he earns it during the season or, or during the offseason. So, yeah, if he plays to the way he played from what we've seen of him, he's got a legit shot at that job. I think they'll play it like a competition, but I think they'll lean to Jaden Daniels. I think you have to consider the dual threat aspect, which mm-hmm. brings an element that makes you really tough to defend, which I think was an asset and one of the reasons Jaden Daniels stepped in and had such a good year because he was utilized that way. And Garrett Nussmeyer is a completely different pocket passer type presence. And I think if they're equal in competition throwing the ball, and Jaden Daniels still threw the ball really well for them this year. I think you're going to lean to him, plus the experience, leadership. Now, I don't know, you know, in the locker room, there was some, you know, that it did not end well in Arizona State. I think it was one of the more surprising stories of the season, how well he played at LSU. I did not see that coming. It was more like his freshman year. Um, If his teammates like him, that's kind of an assumption I'm making because they played well around him. If they don't, and Garrett Nussmeyer's like a, a guy that the team gravitates toward, then I wouldn't be as surprised to hear that. But I think other than that, which I have no, I don't know, I'd say I'd say it's Jalen Jaden Daniels' job to lose. Like I think he'd have to play really bad and have like bad practices. See, Jaden David Jaden Daniels had bad games, but he had an incredible month. Um, the after the loss to Tennessee, which was bad, he went on with three touchdowns, zero interceptions against Florida. Had a couple scores on the ground as well against Ole Miss, a 45-20 win, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. I believe he also had another score on the ground as well against Alabama in the win, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like for a month, and it was a bye week before the Alabama game. For a month, we're like, oh my goodness, this is everything we wanted. But he was not good uh, against Auburn. He was not good against Tennessee. He was not good against Arkansas. There, We saw a floor 
for Jaden Daniels against SEC defenses and against SEC competition, to which I say there is 100% a quarterback battle. I don't think that Garrett Nussmeyer will overtake Jaden Daniels in spring practice, but if we see Jaden Daniels at LSU has given us all the reasons why we look at Jaden Daniels and think, oh, listen, of course, he led him to an SEC West title, an SEC championship game. Of course, he's got QB1 locked up. But in that campaign, I also think he kind of showed us the other side of it as well, uh, performances that were not as strong, where, you know, whether it's from touchdowns, interceptions, yards per attempt, passer rating, completion percentage, he, he was he was much more mid than, uh, than he mm-hmm. was um, otherwise. So Nussmeyer, in my eyes, 100% has a shot at this. I just don't expect it'll happen in spring practice. There's also an aspect where maybe Brian Kelly guaranteed him a shot. You know, like a lot of players would have transferred, you know, if they're sitting behind a player who had a year like Jaden Daniels did and you saw a starter, if it was entrenched and you didn't feel like you had any opportunity, you might have bounced. Um, yeah, also, I was going to say, I, you know who think Garrett, thinks Garrett Nussmeyer has a shot? Walker Howard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wouldn't have stuck around if he wasn't thinking that he wasn't uh, starting out running third um, in that in that race in that competition. Again, something that will be very interesting and a good spot, man. LSU lucky to have two players that we're overall positive about heading into the 2023 season. And now we reach a what has become a little bit of a running joke here on the Cover Three podcast and the Mailbag episodes because. For four mailbag episodes, there's been a question that we haven't gotten time for. And if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, and if you remember Keenan Thompson's What's Up With That, one of the jokes in the sketch that we never have time for Lindsey Buckingham, this has become the Lindsey Buckingham question, but it, we have finally been able to answer it. And it was so long ago, I'm sorry, I don't even have the wording. But we do have a passionate fan base in the Northeast. They ask questions like, you know, is Zay Flowers going to be a player at the next level? You know, what is going to happen with Boston College? What is our ceiling? And this question actually comes from a Pitt fan who asks, is Phil Dracovic an upgrade over Keaton Slovis? Mm. I don't know. Healthy, healthy Phil Dracovic, <clears throat> yes. Yeah. But he's caught he's He's caught well, some bangs. Was pretty good when he was healthy too. That's the thing too, and I think yeah, in a vacuum, I think he is. I think that he's like Keaton Slovis. I thought as a freshman when he was the first at USC was very good. He had that shoulder injury, and then he was never really looked the same to me after that. I think it just it kind of took a lot of the zip that he like he never had the strongest arm to begin with. But when you after he suffered that injury, it just took the zip that he did have kind of out, and it kind of just changed my complete view of him. So I think Yurkovic's got the better arm. So I I think it's an upgrade. Yeah, I don't think it's the kind of upgrade where it's like you know oh we're gonna win two more games because of it. I just think that you'll probably be able to do a little bit more in the passing game than you were able to do with Slovis. So it's going to be, it might make things a little easier on your offense. I don't know if it's going to be tangible as far as wins. It might just look different. Yeah. I I think it depends on surrounding talent around him, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think both of them, when they had good talent around them or better talent than when they're on a bad team, they played a lot better. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. which would, would, would describe a lot of quarterbacks that are out there. I mean, we're still only, you know, it was uh, Mark Whipple, right, that was there and then left 
to go to Nebraska. So they're still they're still kind of figuring things out, new identity. You know, there's clearly a tug of war between what Narduzzi wants to do, being more physical. Remember the comments he had after Kenny Pickett, you know, gets drafted in the first round. So I think they're probably still figuring that out. So I think Dracovic might benefit from that, like another year removed. You know, they lost Jordan Addison kind of surprisingly last year. You know, now they're able to kind of recruit towards that to direct it. So the player itself, I don't think there's that much difference, but I think you could get a better year out of Jakovic this year. I think it's great for the player because his best season as a college quarterback, 17 touchdowns to five interceptions. Yes, it did happen in that, um, you know, COVID altered 2020 season, but it also happened with then Boston College offensive coordinator Frank Signetti, who was Pat Narduzzi's hire to replace Mark Whipple. So Phil Dracovic is going to link up with the offensive coordinator that he had the most success with in the season that he played basically the entire year. So he is stepping into a new situation with an established relationship with your offensive coordinator, quarterbacks, coach, and play caller. Um, we know that it's a, it's a Pat Narduzzi run situation. So it's not like, um, it's not like you have to learn new verbiage along the way. This is going to be something that's going to feel very familiar. So I, I like Phil Jerkovic's chances to be an upgrade in, in him. If he can stay healthy, to be an upgrade in terms of even his own performance and maybe recapture some of that 2020 magic as he again links up with his old offensive coordinator this time at Pitt. Who has a better year, Dracovic at Pitt or Keaton Slovis at BYU, which I forgot he even went there. Slovis at BYU will have better numbers. Because the offense is... Yeah, just a completely different animal they'll be playing in. Keaton Slovis texted Jaron Hall, said, oh, this is how I'm going to go to the NFL. <laughs> it's true. All right, we will be back Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure that you follow and subscribe. If you want to get in a question to a future mailbag episode, be sure to leave us a five-star review. In that review, put your mailbag question. We will throw it in the big old bag of mail and tackle it in a future mailbag episode. And you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Canelli. You can follow him at Tom Finelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you.